That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? One disco. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't use those kinds of slurs on the fighting for the gay disco. What are there are no slurs here? Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains. And the opposite is America. Because America is now one big gay disco. Our most requested guest. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That, that's what they That's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. One big gay disco. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe so. you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? One day, day disco. Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello, welcome to another EMJ Live. It's Friday afternoon. It's a rainy April day in South Bend, Indiana, when everything is turning green. And we're going to talk today about one of my favorite topics, which is Jewish privilege. Uh, let's begin with a story. Uh, I told you so story. Uh, when the COVID crisis broke, uh, it broke around the same time that there was a, a scandal at Harvard University. The chemistry, head of the chemistry department, uh, Professor Lieber at Harvard University was uh, arrested uh, for being a, a, a secret agent of the Chinese government. Uh, getting fifty thousand uh, dollars under the table every month. Uh, also, he was co- uh, cru- crucially connected with uh, a group of people uh, in the Chinese army. They called themselves students, uh, but they weren't. Uh, they were soldiers in the Chinese army. They were working for him, and they were also smuggling out vials of. God knows what toxic stuff in their socks uh, before they got stopped at the airport. Okay, I said then 
that uh, Dr. Lieber had Jewish privilege and that nothing would happen. And I was right. The trial was just completed. Uh, Lieber uh, was sentenced to time served, which was two days, two days uh, in some type of confinement. Uh, he's going to have to pay a fine of $80,000 after receiving for God knows how many months, 50000 a month from the Chinese government. And that's pretty much it. Well, wait a minute. What about all the questions about Wuhan? Uh, we now know that this uh, bioweapon was created in Wuhan. He had direct connections with Wuhan. Uh, can we sue him for the damages coming from COVID? Well, uh, nothing's going to happen here. Sorry, he's got Jewish privilege, so he's not going to go to jail. If you want to uh, send someone to jail, uh, pick a Catholic pro-lifer and the FBI will try and put him up in jail for nine years uh, for uh, picketing uh, at an abortion clinic. Next example here, uh, we have uh, Ron DeSantis flies to Israel to de destroy free speech in Florida. Great article by um, Andrew Torbo on Gab. Uh, this week, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida made a trip to Israel to sign HB 269, a bill that makes it a felony up to five years in jail for passing out, quote, offensive, unquote, flyers or pamphlets. This move has been widely criticized by free speech advocates and legal experts as a gross violation of the First Amendment. The bill states that anyone distributing any material for the purpose of intimidating or threatening the owner could be convicted of a felony hate crime. While we often write about hate speech rules on big tech platforms, this is far worse. This is the state of Florida violating the First Amendment of the United States. This is, uh, I just quoted you from uh, Andrew Torba's article. It's on Gab. Uh, it, it's even worse than, than he's talking about here. Uh, from my point of view, because now uh, anyone who uh, in Florida, if some Jew is offended by what you write, he can sue you now. Uh, he has cause under law uh, to sue you uh, based on the definition of uh, anti-Semitism, which uh, was given to us by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, which defines anti-Semitism as a certain perception. I, I have... Uh, control over what I say, uh, at least most of the time. I have even more control over what I write, but I have no control over anyone's perception. What is a certain, uh, how am I supposed to argue with a certain perception? I don't know what you're perceiving. You may have just taken LSD for all I know, and you may be seeing uh, pink elephants. This is totally antithetical to uh, what uh, we have been raised to believe uh, that America uh, represents uh, under the First Amendment. There is no defense against this. This is another class example of Jewish privilege. No other group in this country has the privilege to ruin your life if they have a certain perception. It just doesn't exist. If, they're, if they feel intimidated, people feel intimidated by all kinds of stuff. Why, why is the writer, some writer held responsible for doing this? The answer uh, is very simple. It's Jewish privilege. 
No other group has this privilege. This is the only group that has this privilege. And there's Ron DeSantis, who uh, had the guts to stand up to Disney, uh, now completely capitulating to a different group of Jews. But get back to the, read Elisa Rangel's article in Culture Wars about uh, the history of Disney and Ron DeSantis' conflict. And you try to explain to me how that makes sense, given this type of thing. It's, it's not going to work. Uh, Ron DeSantis is going to learn uh, the hard way that the Jews, no matter how much he grovels, they're going to turn on him. And if he needs proof, he should just look into what happened to Donald Trump. Uh, but that's not the only story. The biggest story of the week, of course, was Tucker Carlson getting fired. Uh, he got fired because he doesn't have Jewish privilege. Uh, but it was the same group of people that went after Tucker Carlson. In spite of all of the rigmarole and all the stuff you've been hearing, it turns out that there are three crucial issues here uh, that basically panicked uh, Rupert Murdoch into pulling the plug on the star of the show at Fox News. No one had bigger numbers than Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson was the only reason to listen to uh, mainstream media if that's what Fox is, and now there's no reason whatsoever. So just uh, cancel your subscription to mainstream media. So what am I talking about? Uh, the thing, it, you can read various reports. The latest report I read was that it happened on Saturday night because uh, they had lost that lawsuit against the voting machine. That cost them $800 million. But there was another uh, lawsuit in the pipeline filed by a Jewish producer who got fired. Uh, at Fox. Her name is uh, Amy Grossberg, and she claimed all kinds of stuff that it had a hostile work environment, blah, 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 the whole thing. Uh, look, the only reason anyone's taking this seriously is because it's a Jew who's raising the claim, and she has Jewish privilege. And when you have Jewish privilege, you, can, you, you have an edge on your lawsuit uh, that is uh, uh, significant, because you have people like uh, Jonathan Greenblatt on your side. Oh, wait a minute. Jonathan Greenblatt also called for Tucker Carlson to be fired. This was months ago. Uh, I'm not going to rehearse what he said when Megyn Kelly told him that, but uh, you can probably find it on the internet. It wasn't particularly uh, complimentary. Uh, and you also had uh, Chuck Schumer, uh, the senator, who also has Jewish privilege, who also said, basically, uh, he's got to go. So when push came to shove, uh, Jewish privilege worked out again. And Tucker Carlson went. Now, this is a pattern that we've been seeing here. Uh, it happened with Kanye West, who does not have Jewish privilege and didn't have black privilege either. Uh, what happened there is that uh, the, uh, the ADL went to Adidas. And Adidas killed the goose that laid the golden egg and fired Kanye, breached their contract with him. And now they're losing billions of dollars. Well, Fox did the same thing because they capitulated to Jewish pressure, Jewish privilege. And that was the end of that. Okay. Now, I talked about this on our show last week when I had Charles Moskowitz on. Uh, and we went round and round and round with the same thing that we've talked about many times before. And it generated a lot of um, comment. Uh, letters to the editor, which you can read in their entirety if you get uh, subscribed to Culture Wars magazine, where all these debates take place in extenso. 
Uh, one of the people wrote in and said, uh, effectively, everything Charles says about Judaism begs questions and clarifications. He mentions the moral and ethical precepts of Judaism, but what are they? And what does he mean by this? When Charles said, going back to Sinai, uh, does he mean Mosaic law? He said that animal sacrifice was not essential or necessary to Mosaic law or Judaism. This is ridiculous. What then was essential and necessary for Judaism. How many stories in the Old Testament were predicated on the act of sacrifice? Charles is clever enough to know that he cannot admit that sacrificial oblation, a priesthood, a temple is necessary for the fulfillment of Mosaic law. Otherwise, he must admit that there are two different Judaic religions, which is kind of what I try to talk to. But I'm starting to realize here, what, what, what is the thesis of the Jewish revolutionary spirit? It's the Jews have uh, attacked Logos, and so they are deficient. They're Logos deficient. And this is precisely the problem I tried to talk about when I talked about Biden's minion. You've got a secretary of state who can't negotiate. He, he, he's Logos deficient. And that's a Jewish characteristic. I tried to explain why that was a Jewish characteristic. Uh, uh, but when you talk to people like Charles Moskowitz, what you realize is he's not really interested in the truth. Uh, he's interested in defending Jewish privilege. So he writes back, uh, the, uh, his response will also be published writes back and says, while I understand the thesis of Christian replacement theology, I would respectfully disagree. As noted by Jesus, the Mosaic Covenant is forever. Wait a minute. <laughs> no footnote. This is, this is like classic Jewish discourse. It's his ipse dixit. It's true because the Jew said it. That's not true. What He never said that. He predicted that the temple would be destroyed. That was the end of the Mosaic Covenant because you need a temple to have the Mosaic Covenant. You have to have a priesthood, a temple, and sacrifice. If you don't have that, you can't fulfill your covenant, and so your religion is over. And as such, Judaism, what do you mean? And as such, Judaism is a dynamic faith with a role in the world, and the Jewish people constitute an organic society that holds a continuum from the time of Sinai until the present day. He's responding to the, the, the letter I just wrote to you, which says, no, there is no continuity because the temple was destroyed. He doesn't deal with that. He doesn't explain it. He just says, ipse dixit, uh, no. And he restates the very thing that you were questioning with no attempt to resolve the issue. Judaism exists as a faith that is not dependent upon, nor is Judaism a reaction to any other faith, including Christianity. Well, he's responding to me when I said that when the temple's destroyed, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, in his book, goes to the Roman general and says, I'd like to found a school. Why did he found the school? Well, because the temple was destroyed. Well, if the temple was destroyed, there's no continuity here. This, I think that the, the letters that we got are a, a, a reaction to my frustration and everyone's frustration in trying to talk to a Jew. This is, this is, it goes to the heart of the matter of what Logos is. Is, is it possible to have a meeting of the minds 
with someone who simply has Jewish privilege and can say, uh, restate, you know, you question him, you refute his argument, and then he just restates the argument all over again as if nothing had just happened. It's impossible to, to engage in dialogue on these terms. That's what the, the sad conclusion that I'm coming to. And I'm not coming to it uh, without having tried to do something else in the meantime. I mean, we've been, this is not the first time. The first time we did have a meeting of the minds with Charles, and uh, he, would, he, he, he didn't press the record button, I suspect, because we had a meeting of the minds. And that's not really what he was interested in. He is interested in defending Jewish privilege. And so what you see here is when it's in written form, uh, it's different than when it's in spoken form. When it's in spoken form, and I, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but when it's in spoken form, you sort of uh, basically you go along and try and be polite and have engage in a conversation and take the other blah, 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 the whole thing back and forth. When it's in written form, so we had that back and forth and the written conversa uh, conversations we had, or uh, the, the uh, podcast we had, uh, he would praise me for my scholarship. But when it comes to the written thing, he said uh, he regards me as one of the foremost enemies of the Jewish people today. Well, I didn't know that. And what I should have asked him when he was on is, well, exactly why? Why exactly am I the foremost enemy? I would say I'm the foremost friend of the Jewish people, uh, because I'm uh, trying to bring Logos to a people who have been in rebellion against it for 2,000 years, and that's precisely what they need. So I'm your friend. And there are Jews out there who know that, and there are Jews. And so I got this uh, from someone. Uh, another letter to the editor. Again, you can read the whole letter to... Uh, if you're in the next issue of Culture Wars, uh, and he's going on and on about uh, a man who has listened to more than one conversation, talks about uh, Charles uh, being part of an organization that is like a beehive, uh, and how they, even though there is you know, one bee goes to the left and the other one goes to the right, they're still part of the same hive. And that is sort of the political situation that we find ourselves in today. The one he's describing injects it. Okay, so, you know, he's got his own views. Uh, Charles did well. He was calm, assured, affable, and very nimble. And people may wonder why you didn't lay into him more. And I wonder too, it might've been tactical or it might've been your very noticeable Christian charity, or it might've been sweet Christian naivete. This is something I've seen in lots of Christians uh, that they cannot just conceive exactly what they're dealing with they when they encounter the likes of Charles Moskowitz. Now, this is a Jew who's, uh, let me say this, a former Jew who is writing this. Still, Charles wasn't always, hasn't always been so unflappable. There are a couple, of, a couple of occasions when he's definitely been put off his stroke. One was in another podcast with you. The podcast was about your Holocaust book. You were talking about the Holocaust narrative, how it arose and how it spread, but Charles wasn't interested in any of this, nervously fixated on the word narrative. He only wanted to know what you meant by the word. Were you saying that the Holocaust was just a narrative? You didn't answer, but for Charles, it was all about whether you did or did not believe. Then he goes on. Perhaps that is why Charles so abruptly ended the recent email conversation that I had with him, but I don't think so. Or perhaps it was because I'm a relative nobody and he just couldn't be bothered. 
But again, I don't think so. You came close when you suggested he has to set up a dynamic where he is defending Jews against anti-Semites. You wrecked that dynamic. Now, I'm saying you, the author of this letter, he wrecks this dynamic because he's a Jew who converted to Catholicism. That's why there's no conversation here between uh, these two guys. I think you're right, but there's more to it than that. Charles found me impossible to deal with, not only because by being born a Jew weakens his accusations of anti-Semitism, but because I'm a traitor, an apostate, apostate, a Jew who has gone over to what he perceives to be the enemy and even worse, might spill the beans. I think this hits the nail on the head and why Moscow, Charles wants to talk to me uh, kind of so as the Jews hold his coat and he gets into the ring and beats up E. Michael Jones. Because when you talk about a Jew to former Jew who did take the idea of Logos seriously, he gets too uncomfortable and the discussion ends. That's my rant for today. Let's hear what you have to say. Okay, a uh, voice you're hearing here, uh, once again, is uh, Mike Bajakis. I'm Dr. Jones' assistant. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, all callers are made in our Telegram channel. Uh, the uh, link for that will be in all descriptions for the various platforms. Uh, first, uh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to pick on those who raise their hands, and then we'll read off questions from uh, Cozy uh, near the end via text. There are no paid super chats. Try to keep uh, keep on subject. Uh, try to keep the one question. Be respectful of time, and do not forget to unmute yourself. That is always the most important rule. Okay, uh, to Del Telegram here. Let Let's see who do we got. Uh, Quentin, go ahead. Doctor Jones, yes. can you hear me? I can. Oh, such a pleasure. God bless you, sir. Such an honor. Um, so I had Ann Coulter on my program last year, and I introduced her to the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, which she enthusiastically said, I've got to read this book. But she was, the little she knew about your work, she was um, dubious because she is a big adherent to Samuel Huntington's idea that Protestant Brits created a more um, uh, functional of colonialism than Catholic Spaniards or Catholic French or the Portuguese Catholics. Well, first of all, what's your take on Huntington's premise and how would you correct her assumption that um, Catholic nations are somehow inherently dysfunctional? Yeah, I, uh, the short answer is read Baron Metal because I go into this in detail in Baron Metal, which is basically the rise of capitalism and the main vector spreading capitalism is England, the British Empire. And so what you had, if you want to move away from Whig history, which is the standard Anglo explanation of everything, uh, you can go to discover, to look into the story of the Jesuit reductions in Paraguay. These are heroic. The mission of the story, the film, The Mission, is basically the story of that. Uh, not in detail, but that's the story. These were heroic figures, and you have a graphic presentation of the Jesuits just going off into the wilderness, into people who have never had any contact with Europeans, can't speak the language, pulls out a flute and starts playing just to some logos. Maybe the logos of art and beauty will attract this guy. 
Anyway, they write the Guarani grammar, they write the Guarani dictionary, and with a generation, they've got the Guarani working. They taught them how to work. These were hunter-gatherers before that. Now they know how to work. Because if you don't know how to work uh, with agriculture, you're going to have a difficult time understanding the gospel, which is full of stories about seeds. These people don't plant seeds. They kill animals. And so they brought this within a generation. They were making musical instruments. And then it all got destroyed. Now, who destroyed it? The very people who are claiming the superiority of British culture. In other words, the Freemasons. That, uh, that experiment was killed by the Freemasons. The, the, one of the hitmen was Voltaire, who wrote Candide, uh, based on the slanders of the Jesuits in Paraguay that were circulating in Freemasonic circles. He was an agent of the English, uh, and he, the English agents who uh, brought this about in Rome were the Marquis um, de Choiseul in France and the, uh, uh, the Duc de Choiseul in France and the Marquis de Pombal in Portugal, who basically browbeat a weak pope into suppressing the Jesuits, setting up the collapse, the, Rome, uh, the, uh, the catastrophe known as the French Revolution. That's the real history. Okay. In other words, the English empire killed it with violence. It's not as if it's a superior system. They're superior at one thing, and that is called piracy. Uh, the British never got over being pirates and looters. It began with the Reformation. It continued with the, re the, the uh, rape of the Spanish main. Sir Francis Drake was one of these terrorists, and they got to write the history. Also look into what happened in uh, the other end of North America with the Jesuits in Quebec. They brought the gospel to the Indians by heroic sacrifice of going off into the wilderness in the middle of winter with the Abnaki on the Gaspé Peninsula, learning the language, living in teepees full of smoke. One Jesuit said these savages spent their lives in smoke and eternity in flames, but they were there to baptize them when they were ready. And they created a culture, a, a, a harmonious melding of the French and the Indian population with the Mi'kmaq. And when the Presbyterians show up as emissaries of capitalism, uh, they try to convert them uh, without even learning the language. And when that doesn't work, they uh, engage, uh, put bounties on scalps. Okay, you can scalp an Indian now if you can't convert them and we'll pay you a bounty. And when that didn't work, they deported them all to Louisiana where they became Reed Evangeline, if you want to hear that story. So this is all you're talking about is Whig history. And these were heroic men who established an alternative, a viable alternative to capitalism and the British Empire. And unfortunately, they lost the war. That's the tragedy of human history. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Okay, next we have uh, Patrick C. Go ahead. Patrick C. Do not forget to unmute. Oh, sorry about that. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, have you heard of such a concept in, in Jewish law called Misira law, where uh, one Jew is not allowed to publicly go to court and basically rat or tell on a, a, another Jew yes. in public? Yes. You've heard of this? Yes. 
Can, can you describe a little bit more of what you know about it? That's all I know about it. I mean, I'm not, I'm, uh, oh, okay. That, okay. That, that's what I know. But I mean, there is this kind of solidarity. I've said it before about Biden's minion, about the, the Justice Department. People who uh, believe this, whether it's encoded in a law or not, cannot enforce the law in the United States of America. And so therefore you can't put them in positions of power. It's that simple. Where, how many examples do I have to give to you? The, the, the Jew in a position of law enforcement will exonerate uh, Jews or the people they anoint as uh, their fellow travelers uh, from any crime. And you have this in cities like Philadelphia. All the Soros prosecutors are involved in this because they perceive the black as their kind of proxy warrior. So they won't be prosecuted for crime, but they will go after Catholic pro-lifers because abortion is a Jewish sacrament. And this is blasphemy. And they have a very strong sense of righteous, self-righteous indignation. And they'll go after these people. So, yeah, I've been talking about it for months now. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Next, we're going to go to Amy Smith. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Jones. I was reading an article. Um, it's called What We Need to Know Substack. It looks like it's a Catholic organization interviewed a guy or a person, N.S. Lyons, called uh, The Upheaval on Substack. And he's talking about, or she is talking about, how there's a problem in the church that's become too much on the feminine side, like the care of the church and not enough of the masculine, which I'm guessing is sort of like the warrior standing up with strength to all of these attacks that we're facing and how that might not appeal as much to young men and other kinds of movements like nihilism or just straight power kind of beliefs might be seeming more appealing or more efficacious. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about any of that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's true. I think that we've had witnessed the effeminization of the Catholic Church over this period, over a period of, uh, you know, the past 70 years. Uh, if you go back to even Hollywood was portraying, uh, uh, the, the priest was a heroic figure in, uh, you know, the James Cagney film, Angels with Dirty Faces or Fighting Father Duffy or even Going My Way, where it wasn't really that fighting. But, you know, they were they were figures who were masculine and stood up to oppression. And all that has changed. Uh, the most recent example being uh, the Pope is now appointing women, women, to take part in some type of synod or some type of uh, judicial uh, body in, in, in Rome. Now, when they say women, what they mean is feminists, uh, because they're the only women who get appointed to these type of things, because uh, we know who controls uh, the appointment. It's the Jesuits, and the Jesuits have completely capitulated to the Americanist emasculization of, of the clergy. Uh, uh, a lot of it has to do with the, the spread of homosexuality. You cannot allow effeminate men into the priesthood because they will eventually be in positions of running the church. And once they run the church, they will, not, they, they, they will cave in at the slightest uh, opposition. So that's, yeah, you're, he's right. Whoever said it is right. And uh, it's a serious problem. Can, can I just add that? probably only feminist women would even step up for the position. So that's a filtering bias, even if people were willing to, to be, you know, 
not filtering at who's making the decision about which women would be allowed a voice. So No, that's absolutely right. We've seen this time and time again throughout the past 40 years, these so-called uh, democratic meetings or zenodal vague, all this type of stuff. It's all rigged. We all know what the decisions are before we get in. And they want some type of window dressing that is some type of democratic process by including women. But they're not women. They're feminists. Or they're, they're the only women who get into the feminists. Anyway, thank you. All right. Let's go next to Mighty Thor. Go ahead. Hey, great. Lucky me. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Yes. Okay, Doc. Hey, uh, big fan of yours. I'm 52 years old, San Francisco native, lifelong Roman Catholic. I was actually an usher at the late, great Pope John Paul II's Mass at Candlestick Park three days in a row way back in 1987 as a junior in high school. So I've seen a lot of change, almost as much as you have. And this emasculation, persecution of Christians, na namely traditional ca traditionalist Catholics, i.e. Roman Catholics, you know, that memo issued by A.G. Merrick Garland on February 13th saying, hey, we've got to watch for them first and foremost as the domestic terror threat. Unbelievable. That was rescinded two weeks due to public pressure, two weeks after it was issued. I just think somehow, some way, as the lady before me just said, we must no longer tolerate this atheistic reform Jewish, because that is what it is. In fact, I speak a lot on Twitter spaces, eight hours a day on average. Uh, and I often share a post of the top 145 feminist leaders who are Jewish. Right. They are destroying the country. Four out of five American Jews voted against Trump in 2016. They are reformed Jews, meaning atheists. And all they do, they exist to destroy our Christian morality, our nuclear families. And because of my upbringing, 12 years of the best private Roman Catholic schools here in San Francisco, I easily identify they are in absolute polar opposition to everything I was raised to believe. I'm a chauvinist. I'm a bigot. I'm a racist only because I see a deliberate attacks on uh, European white Americans all over the Western world now. And they're trying, so how do we reverse this emasculation? Can we go into Catholic church and say, look, man, you need to get tough and start empowering masculine men only. Lastly, Pope Francis has got to go. He's a fatty communist. Uh, John Paul II was great. And thanks for listening, Doc. You're welcome. You're welcome. The, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, the first, though, is consciousness, and we have to be aware of what has happened. We have to have the real history uh, before our eyes, rather than the phony history. We have to understand that there were things like social engineering that took place. We have to understand where the the, the sexual corruption of the clergy, how that took place, and what the consequences are of that. All of these things have to be part of the conversation that we can have with other Catholics before we can come to any type of conclusion about what to do. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it, I had this uh, insight, uh, like suddenly I'm transported, I'm king of the world. Well, what would I do if I were king of the world or a king of the United States of America? I'd start uh, going back to the, to the tradition that we abandoned. Uh, for example, uh, I don't think Jews can be citizens. 
This was the wisdom of the West up until Napoleon, who was no friend of the church, the man who destroyed the uh, Vendee uh, counter-revolution. Uh, how about uh, anti-Semitism, uh, the accusation of anti-Semitism as hate speech? That is what it is. I mean, basically, this is a word that can destroy you, that can intimidate anyone right now, including big people like uh, Rupert Murdoch, Adidas. I just went through that whole thing there. This is the club that gets wielded to beat everyone into submission. How about if we pass a law that says it is uh, illegal to accuse someone of anti-Semitism? That word cannot be used. That accusation cannot be leveled anymore. This is ipso facto uh, slanderous because there's no definition behind it. I've already given you the definition. That is the gold standard of their definition. It's a certain perception. You can't, uh, it, it, the, the reasoning behind this law would be, you can't wreck someone's life simply because you have a certain perception. We have to stand up for, for our rights now. We cannot allow you to wreck our culture anymore. Look at the evidence I've already presented of how you have wrecked our culture up to now. You yourselves are, 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 are proud of the fact. You, it's the Jews who are claiming that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. It is the Jews who are defending transgender. So all I'm doing is quoting what they're saying, and yet I'm called an anti-Semite for quoting them. We can't tolerate this double standard anymore. We have to be able to step up and we have to be able to say to someone like Ron DeSantis, sorry, Ron, you just lost my vote. I will never vote for someone who is the thrall of Jewish interest, who wants to further institutionalize Jewish privilege in the law. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not ashamed to say it to you. I'm not. A, a, we're, we're done with this uh, walking on eggs known as Catholic-Jewish dialogue. I've tried it personally. The Catholic Church has tried it, and it's been a miserable failure. The net result of this Catholic-Jewish dialogue after 50, 60 years is basically the bishops of Australia and America denied the gospel. Well, that's great. That was great. They, they basically said that the gospel of St. John will cause anti-Semitism. It's like, so we have to put a warning on it as if the gospel of St. John is a cigarette pack and that's going to cause you cancer. We're beyond this. The consciousness, consciousness is a train and this train is leaving the station. Okay. And you can't stop it. All right. Uh, let's go to... Uh... Braja Velosi, Braja Velosi, go ahead. Dr. Jones, have you ever heard of a man named John Lamb Lash and his challenge to Abrahamic religion, the book called Not in His Image? No, I haven't heard of it, no. Just asking for a friend. You have a good day. You're welcome. Uh... Let's see. Up next, we have Elros. Go ahead. Uh, Dr. Jones, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. Um, well, uh, I've spoken or I've asked a few questions in the past. Um, and it was, as always, it's a great privilege to speak to you. I listened to this most recent conversation you had with Charles Moskowitz. And um, I, I always enjoy your conversations with Charles. 
um, and I think Charles is a very gracious person, at least um, at least when he's having a conversation, uh, despite all his other faults. Um, I, I wanted to comment on that conversation. Uh, so, um, in in past conversations, it's it's been uh, a, a trope in which you the two of you talk about um, the the requirements to maintain the religion of Moses, the religion of the Old Testament. And you've routinely said that for the religion uh, of the Old Testament to be, to be valid, for the Mosaic Covenant to be valid, you need a priesthood, a temple, and a sacrifice. Right. And I, I'd like to submit to you that um, two, two of those conditions are true, and one of them is not. So when the Mosaic Covenant, sorry, covenant was established, um, there, there was no temple. And so for the 40 years in the desert, you had the uh, sacrifices being offered in a nomadic tabernacle. And so I, I would absolutely agree with you that uh, that animal sacrifice and a priesthood, particularly the Levitical priesthood, is absolutely necessary and essential to the religion of the Old Testament. But uh, we don't get the temple until Solomon. And so uh, maybe next time you talk to Charles, you could make that distinction so he has no more wiggle room. Because um, uh, strictly speaking, I don't think the temple was necessary. You just need a tabernacle and uh, some of the very prominent um, sacramentals that uh, Moses uh, ordered to be built in the tabernacle, like the mercy seat and the altar and so forth. Okay. All right. Thanks for bringing that up. <clears throat> I, th I think the tabernacle is the, the place for the tabernacle is the temple. So, uh, uh, but anyway, th thanks for bringing that up. Yes. Uh, you're well. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. Next, we have uh, Cracked Up Boomer. Go ahead. Hi there, Dr. Jones. Um, please forgive me if this is uh, maybe something that only I don't know the answer to. Maybe uh, uh, people more familiar with your work uh, maybe know your view on this. But I wanted to ask about your view on invincible ignorance, uh, just generally salvation outside of the church is... Um, you know, I, I've just seen debates recently, and and I don't agree with uh, everything that that say like someone like Brother Diamond uh, says uh, regarding the Catholic Church. But but on invincible ignorance and salvation outside the church, um, you know, I just find it compelling. So just wanted to hear your view. Uh, invincible ignorance means that it would not uh, it would not be possible to understand uh, the the gospel or the truths of the gospel. Uh, because, uh, for example, of uh, geographical problems or historical problems. So the, the example I have given is that basically if you're Yanomamo uh, uh, living in the Amazon rainforest in 500 BC, you cannot possibly know who Jesus Christ is or would be. And so the, the church uh, which will judge you according to what you do. I mean, not the church. God will judge you according to what you do know, which is his voice, which is engraved in your heart, known as the moral law. So if you're willing to follow the moral law to the best of your abilities, you can be saved. Now, no one is saved outside of the Catholic Church. So if, if Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross, hadn't come down and died on the cross and established that church, no one would be saved. So the question is, 
so we're all, all of those people are in, in some sense incorporated into the Catholic Church. So yeah, I agree. There is no salvation outside of the church or without the church. It's impossible. Uh, it's just because there's no salvation without Jesus Christ. And this is the institution he founded as the vehicle for that salvation. That, I think, I th is that clear? I mean, did I make my position clear? Yeah, it's. No, I appreciate that, and on on one hand, it makes sense, and I'm just split on this, um, torn a bit because it, it seems to me that that um, it it has it it has to stretch the definition somehow of of um, you know baptism by you know this brings up baptism by desire. Um, and and perhaps um but ba ba baptism. baptism baptism is necessary for salvation that right. is the teaching of the catholic right. church so i i'll give you an example where uh i think it applies here this conversation between ben shapiro and bishop Barron. ben shapiro says uh am i going to hell well bishop Barron should have responded by saying are you baptized and then Ben would have to say no. And then the bishop should have said, if you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. Well, that is the situation of the Jew, in a sense. Uh, not all Jews. I mean, I just wrote, gave you a, a commentary from a Jew who has accepted baptism. The early fathers, all the apostles were Jews who accepted baptism. So he confused the whole thing by conflating the, uh, by bringing in, the invincible ignorance argument where it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply to Jews living in the 21st century. They all know who Jesus Christ is. They know that there is a Catholic church and they refuse to enter it. So if you refuse to enter it, you cannot be saved. If you, if you don't know about it and follow the moral law to the best of your ability and would join if, you, if it were there to join, well, that's a different story. That's a completely different story. Yeah, I, one last thing, and then I'll go. Is um, it, it? It's easy to kind of talk about these things in theory, but then in practice, it is difficult for me to to make that leap to think about, um, you know, someone someone in the rainforest or something that never never heard of the Catholic Church or Jesus, and uh, how do they how do they live the the moral law? Like, um, I understand uh, with like pagan pagans before. Yeah, no. Um, I'm I'm uh, the one uh, that's sort of blabbering on here, but if you have any recommendations on further reading or or you know any videos online or other resources, um, I'll I'll take that off the air here. But greatly greatly appreciate the the opportunity to speak with you. You're welcome. All right, Dr. Jones, uh, you, would you like to go to uh, the uh, chats here and cozy? Uh, yeah, let's see what the written questions are now. All right, guys, let's go to Cozy. For you guys who don't know, uh, we take uh, chats from Cozy. Let's see, Cozy, 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 you guys there. There's some questions here. Good. All right. Um, <clears throat> from K uh, WK Worldwide, uh, E. Michael Jones, will any of EMJ's larger books ever be available as ebooks? Um, inshallah, as the my Iranian friends say, I got kicked off of Amazon. The Jews got me kicked off of Amazon. I thought that their Kindle eBooks were a great idea. Uh, and I will be happy to go back on and do that. Uh, if you're asking me for a PDF uh, version of uh, a book, it's never going to happen because that's a license for the pirates. The pirates love my books. They are being pirated on a regular basis. You have to fight this constantly. 
So if wherever we ever had a platform where there were reliable encryption, I would consider it. But so far, I haven't found that yet. Um, from MPZ, E. Michael Jones, what do we do in 24 with Trump and DeSantis both in bed with the Jews? Vote for Robert Kennedy. There you are. Um, let's see. From Mark Newcomb, E. Michael Jones, do you think uh, the don't say Jew bill in Florida will be overturned? Yes. Uh, no question. But the, to, to give you an example, there is a heroic Jew by the name of uh, uh, Henry Herskowitz, uh, who uh, has been protesting a synagogue in Michigan for years. And every time he goes to court, every time the Jews drag him into court, he's always vindicated because the First Amendment is a fundamental right. It, look, if they get rid of the First Amendment, there's no such thing as an American. OK, we don't have a tradition. Uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw said that. America is a country that went from barbarism to decadence with ever finding civilization along the way. And there's a, an element of truth to that. Uh, but we do have the First Amendment uh, and all we have is the law. Tom Paine, who was a revolutionary, I'm not a big fan of Tom Paine, said in America, the law is king. And I think he's right. And if you undermine the law in America, that's it. It's over. It's over. So keep that in mind, fellas. When you start undermining the law, you may regret this. You may regret this. If you destroy the law, who's going to protect uh, the Jews from the outrage uh, that is building now because of their outrage at having them destroy our culture? Be careful what you pray for. <clears throat> from uh, WK Worldwide. Dr. Jones, uh, would you consider writing a second volume to Monsters from the Id uh, about the horror boom of the 1980s? No, I covered the 1980s in that book. I don't see any, uh, I don't see any uh, reason to do a second edition of Monsters from the Id. I am now probably going to, I'm going to bring out a second edition of uh, Libido Dominandi uh, to give you just one reason. All I gave that talk, I've talked about many times, about the Israelis going into Ramallah and broadcasting pornography over the Palestinian TV stations. That's not in the current edition of Libido Dominandi because it happened after the book came out. So it was a, a kind of uh, a vindication of what I said, uh, a substantiation. So there's a lot of water over the dam since that book came out, and that's going to come out. The second edition of that is going to come out soon. Uh, also, there's probably going to be a second edition of The Angel and the Machine, which is the beginning of my uh, intellectual life. It was the book that was based on my doctoral dissertation. I was doing research on this almost 50 years ago. And a lot of water has come un, uh, under the dam. And I'm working on basically an updated version that will answer the question that I didn't answer at the end of that book, which is why Hawthorne was melancholy and why he didn't finish those four uh, novels uh, at the end of his life. They're the only uh, second editions that I'm thinking of at the moment. From Post No Bills, question. Uh, what is your opinion on Henry Ford's relationship with the Jews and labor? I think he was a great American. And I think he had the courage to stand up to the Jews on Wall Street who were trying to take over the country. Uh, and I think he understood the value of labor. Uh, labor is the source of all value. 
that's a fundamental economic truth. And if you don't get that right, you don't understand anything. Okay. And he understood it. Now he was against unions, which I think was wrong. Uh, but he uh, raised wages. He paid uh, workers the unheard of uh, salary of $5 a day when they were lucky if they earned $5 a week. As a result, he concentrated that. He got the cream of the crop from that highly skilled workforce in Detroit that had grown up building ships for the Great Lakes, got them in there and put that in uh, together in a productive uh, capacity that the world had never seen before and will not see probably is going to be a long time before we see it again. The biggest crisis right now with the Ford Motor Company, I just read the article, is recalls. Why are they having recall problems? Well, because they have a defective workforce. And why do they have a defective workforce? Well, go back to Jack Nasser when he was chief financial officer and he looks out at the Ford Motor Company employees and says, I see too many white faces out there. Jack this attitude wrecked the workforce at Ford. You're hiring people because they have a uterus or because their skin is a certain color or whatever, or they have a certain sexual orientation and not because they're skilled workers. So you got to get back to the understanding that Henry Ford had in creating the great industrial powerhouse that made America a wealthy country, the, the, the wealthiest country on earth. From user 57926, <clears throat> EMJ, at what point uh, do we make this culture war an all-out race war? That's what stops Jewish supremacy, in my opinion. <laughs> Are you for real, buddy? <laughs> Is this an Israeli troll who's trying to get me to pick up a spear and charge the machine gun nest? Where It's not a race war, fella. Why you you haven't gotten the memo? You haven't been listening to me long enough. Okay, this is a culture war, and the fundamental reality of American life is the triple melting pot, which is Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. That's still the fundamental reality. Everything I talked about tonight, in a sense, can be reduced to a war in this country, a culture war between Catholics and Jews. Race has nothing to do with this whatsoever. If you believe the racial narrative, uh, you're going to charge the machine gun nest, waving your spear, and you're going to get shot down. What, is there any other message to Charlottesville? If there is, uh, let me know. That's the only message I saw. That message, even so, I said that before. I said that, you know, even the miserable state of the Catholic Church right now, there is going to be pushback if you're standing up as a Catholic. And that's exactly what Josh Hawley proved to me when he interrogated Merrick Garland. He didn't go far enough. He didn't say, well, it's, it's because you're a Jew that you're in, so, uh, in support of abortion. But he did state that there is a Catholic identity there and you can't push us around in a legal sense. And Merrick Garland had to back off First Amendment, freedom of religion. I have I am not going to change that position. I have been proven true so many times here. That's the reality. It's Catholic, Protestant, Jew. The Protestants are disappearing because of whatever, you know, 500 years of patrimony is evaporated. And so it's going to come down to a battle between Catholics and Jews over the history of this, over the destiny of this country. I haven't, no, it's got nothing to do with race. Uh, 
Dr. Jones, was Columbus a Jew? Good question. Could be. I don't know. He was he was an Italian. Uh, it could have been. Uh, haven't looked into it. I've heard the story, but he just didn't figure largely in, in the research I was doing. So I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, from Alex Great, Dr. Jones, what is your opinion in RFK's take in climate hoax? Uh, all right. So I, I was there. I listened to the speech when he declared. And uh, I, I think I, 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 I think he's got to get a, a different speech. All right. And I know he's dying to hear what I have to say about his campaign, but I'm going to tell him anyway. And I think he's going to have to start off by saying, uh, my name is Robert Kennedy. My father was murdered and my uncle was murdered. This was uh, not by a lone deranged gunman for Jack. Uh, Sirhan did not murder my father. They were taken out by the deep state. And I am going to, it was a coup d'etat. And I, if you elect me, I am going to do everything within my power to reverse that coup d'etat and return us to the values that my father and my uncle believed in. And I'm going to say, that's that's the uh, approach you have to take. And in order to do that, you know, it, you have to say, look, I, I understood this, the, the whole story, because I entered through the vaccine issue. That's not the whole story, but it's a very significant issue. And it opened up a whole new world to me. And now I understand it. And now I want you to trust me that we can move forward and unravel what has done because the time is getting late. We're on the brink of World War III because we've handed our foreign policy over to Jews who have no allegiance to the country. Uh, whether you can say that, who knows? Uh, you know, whether you cannot say it anymore is the bigger question. At some at some point or other, we are going to ha have to address the biggest issue facing us without any type of evasion anymore. Uh, look, I, much as I admire Tucker Carlson, he he could never say that. Maybe it's because he was on Fox News. If you thought the Jews were going to let you go because you're not going to say the word or even say the word neocon, uh, forget it. They they know what you're thinking, and they went after him anyway. So the time uh, of that is gone. Uh, we need to be more forthright because the hour is late, and we are facing the abyss right now. From a user on Cozy, EMJ, could Michael Hoffman II actually be a Jewish plant? <laughs> Why are you asking me this? <laughs> Ask Michael Hoffman. Don't ask me. <laughs> who is Michael Hoffman, for those who don't know? He's written a number of books. We we, we did, uh, Israel Shamir reviewed his book on the, uh, was it Judaism Discovered? It wasn't a particularly favorable review. Uh, I thought it was a fair review. Uh, he didn't think so. Um, but, you know, uh, it is what it is. I'm, you know, let's be honest. We got to be honest here. I thought Israel Shamir did a really good review of his book. It's it, one of the back issues of Culture Wars. You can find it at culturewars.com and you can make up your own mind. Uh, let's see. Uh, from Tabletopper22, uh, is there any truth to the claim that the philosopher um, Seneca, right? S-E-N-E-C-A, uh, 
the younger and the apostate Paul ever wrote to or spoke with each other? I have, I know of no evidence. I mean, they, I know of no evidence. I, uh, did St. Paul speak Latin? I don't even know that. I, I suspect, uh, look, I'm going to tell you what I know. And when uh, 300 years after Christ, when the church was struggling to articulate the doctrine of the Trinity, the only language they could do it in was Greek. And the Latin fathers were completely excluded from that discussion, including uh, St. Augustine, who wrote in Latin, was not versed in Greek. Greek was the language of the church. Greek is the language that St. Paul used to evangelize the Mediterranean world. So I, I suspect, I, I, I suspect that they did, he did not, they did not, he did not know of his writings, of Seneca's writings. From Kingfish AF, uh, this is pretty um, good question to ask right after what you just said. Uh, did Greek mythology come from the Nephilim? From who? N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M? No, no, there were no Hebrew source of Greek mythology. Greek mythology came into being when the uh, Homeric myths were written down, where the story of the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, the, the fall of Troy, was probably took place around 1200 BC, and then civilization collapsed. And then there was a slow, over the next four centuries, there was a slow return. And uh, the Homeric epics were written down at about 800 uh, BC. Uh, that is the beginning. They are sui generis. They have nothing to do with Hebrew scriptures. There was absolutely no, I, I don't know of any contact between the Hebrew scriptures and uh, uh, Greek, myth, Greek thought at that time. Some people claim that uh, Plato knew Isaiah. Well, you can, you have to prove that to me. These are two completely independent strains of thought that come together when St. John writes his gospel. And that is the beginning of Christianity. And that is why Christianity was such a powerful force throughout the world, because it combined the Greek philosophy with the Hebrew understanding of history. It was reason and faith, reason and revelation combined. Uh, and that's why it was so powerful. But they were independent strains. And I don't think there was any any cross-fertilization there. Now, wait a minute, Philo of Alexandria. Okay, there were people who were trying to combine Judaism and uh, uh, and uh, uh, Greek philosophy. Uh, Philo's an example of one of them. But for the most part, no, they were two independent strains of thought that came together with St. John. Philo failed because he tried to preserve Jewish privilege and he couldn't do it. From Codcath, uh, question when is the new book getting released and how might the shipping costs to Europe be resolved? Look, I wish I had my own postal service. I, we have, we are now experiencing uh, an attack on the book. There are regulations put in place by the European Union whose only goal, as far as I can tell, is to make sure people don't read books because there is information in books that you will never find anyplace else. The whole point of the internet should be to get you to read a book, which is where the information is. And they are putting tariffs on books. They are forcing people to show up at, at in Germany. It's a, it's a disaster. That's part of the culture war that we're fighting. The new book uh, 
will look, I have, we are sending the book off probably next week. If you're talking about the Holocaust narrative, it'll probably go off next week. As soon as it goes, goes off, we will hear from the printer and he will give us a date when the, the books will be available. But as of now, that's the, that's the stage where we are. So it's a matter of weeks uh, now. Uh, from MPZ, uh, do you think Kanye West has a chance of making it on the Republican primary debate stage? No. All right. Anything else on that? Well, you know, I, I mean, we could go rehash the whole story, the whole sad story, but uh, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he's got a chance. No. Much as I wish he would, I, you know, he had a lot of good things to say. He should have stayed on message, but we I've been through this before. From Key Lieutenant, do you think the Jews will ever grow as a people and grow past subjugating and destroying people? No. No. That's part of their part of their rebellion. A quad Jew, if you're saying quad Jew, they will it will never happen. They have to convert. They have to accept their Messiah. They have to reject their rejection of Logos. That's the only way out for the Jews. Uh, as the situation stands now, the more power they get, the more tyrannical they become, the more unreasonable they become. They become feel justified in their hatred of Logos, and they get worse and worse and worse, and they make themselves odious to everyone. And at a certain point, things will snap and people will say, I can't take it anymore. I've connected the dots. You've done too much to wreck our culture. The only salvation for the Jews is in their Messiah, which is what I'm trying to tell them, which is why I am the greatest friend the Jews have right now in this world. Okay, and no matter what Charles Moskowitz says, I am your friend because I am proposing a way out of basically an impossible situation. If you go on this way, the way Israel is continuing with more and more ruthless persecution of the Christians and the Palestinians, it will end in disaster. I don't know why it, this is, Moses said, these are a stiff necked people. This is proof of what I'm talking about here. All right, Dr. Jones, it's a little past the hour. You want one or two more? Or? Yeah, let's do two more. All right. Um, from Fingood, Dr. E. Michael Jones, how is, uh, what is that? The new war in South Sudan a Jewish war? It's not a Jewish war. It's an American war. Uh, so, well, all right. I mean, so the Americans, we have the neocons in charge of our foreign policy. So in some sense, it's going to be Jews. But basically, the Sudanese government signed a deal with uh, Russia, allowing them into their Red Sea port. And that's immediate. So the African core, the Africa core, uh, immediately uh, created a civil war there to uh, punish the Sudanese government for doing this. That, that's, what, that's what this is about. Uh, from St. Paul Enjoyer, last question of the night. Um, what should one say to rebut an accusation that one has white privilege or male privilege? <laughs> what, are you kidding me? <laughs> if there's one group that is demonized, it is white males. <laughs> uh, have you watched uh, TV commercials lately? I mean, this is ridiculous. Anyone who makes the claim is not in contact with reality. 
There is Jewish privilege, which is the supreme privilege right in our culture right now. It gets delegated to uh, black privilege if the black people go along with the Jewish agenda, or it gets delegated to homosexuals or any uh, group that was willing to be proxy warrior for the Jews by espousing the latest form of revolutionary behavior. So it's, it's a, a preposterous claim. It should be dismissed with laughter. All right. Well, that's the show, guys. Thanks again. Um, once again, I'm Mike Bajakis, Dr. Jones's co-host here. EMJ Live is every Friday at 5 Eastern Standard Time. If you're not already, subscribe to Culture Wars Magazine. And all of our books are on fidelitypress.org. And Dr. Jones mentioned Elisa Rangel's uh, article about Disney and DeSantis, which is very relevant right now. And that's the June 20, uh, 2022 issue uh, that you want to pick up for that. Make sure to subscribe to the Telegram, the Cozy, the BitChute, the Rumble, the Odyssey, all that. Links in the description for you guys. Uh, I have no announcements on my end. Dr. Jones, what's the last word? Logos is rising. <laughs> Good to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you next week.